Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. I'm going to be reading Romans 12 again, up until verse 15, and then repeating 15. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. So I've lost my place. Um, But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesy him, Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And verse 15 again. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Thank you, that's better. Thank you, Sound Desk. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Paul. Uh, great job, band. It's good to be together. Amen. Amen. The volume is uh, on the microphone. Good. The volume in the church needs to be turned up a tweak. Amen. That's sounding a bit better. Okay. Uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, we're in for a text this morning, which is... Uh, pretty, uh, it seems fairly simple uh, in some ways, and yet, as I hope to show you, it's very profound. 
And uh, it's worth digging, 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 digging deeper into way beyond uh, a half an hour on a Sunday morning. And I hope you'll, you'll do that. Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. The challenge for the evangelical church in this nation is to know how to behave and how to worship on a Sunday. Uh, this church is, in theological terms, is a church which is reformed, a Bible-believing church, uh, build our lives on the Bible, but we're also a charismatic church, and that means we believe in the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that gives us a slight sort of schizophrenic way of not quite knowing how to behave. You see, I was brought up in a brethren church, in a, in a, in a sort of reformed church, and uh, you had to be very serious on a Sunday. That was the way to behave. Uh, and uh, I can remember a very young Christian, I think I was 16 years old, and we had an evangelist come and preach. And as he was preaching, he was preaching his heart out, and he was going, you lot look miserable. I can't see a smile in the place. You look like you come out of the deep freeze. So I decided this was the time to put on a full smile. I thought this was, this was the time to smile. It obviously was good. So I stuck a grin on my face for the meeting like that. But he got on from his preach into the gospel, into the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was talking about the death of Jesus. And he said, do you know there's one person who's smiling at this? And then I'm really confused. Do I smile or not smile? How do you behave? And how do we behave as a church in the world in which we're living? Because um, sometimes it's very hard to know. I mean, I think the slide there is of uh, Narnia and the Witch of Narnia. Because sometimes I think for many of us, we're not quite sure if Christmas has actually arrived. It's always winter and never Christmas. We're not quite sure how emotionally and spiritually and as we worship, how we are to react and behave. And I'm not surprised when I heard this statistic, I was out recently at another church uh, Christian meeting, 75% of Christians uh, raised in a Christian home in the UK leave church by the age of 35. You see, a younger generation are growing up amongst us and, and to be honest, church isn't working for them. And I think a lot of it is, I'm not, I, I think parents and, and us who are slightly older, I think we've lost something of the joy of what it is to be a Christian. We, we, our emotions are somewhat locked down and I, I believe God wants to unlock our emotions as we encounter the Holy Spirit and as we understand something of his word this morning. Amen. So there's one person we're going to pray for afterwards, Doreen. Uh, you see, we're in a series, and I know we've got plenty of visitors because we always get plenty of visitors. We're in a series in Romans uh, chapter 12. But before Romans 12 arrives, we have chapters 1 to 11. And we're talking, you can see by the pictures, we're talking about the life in the spirit which is represented by a real butterfly, a painted lady, if you know your entomology, vis-a-vis a paper butterfly, which is one which is formed by human hands and tells us this is the way it is to behave. We've all got to look the same and, and, and behave the same, and we've got the rules, and we know how to keep the rules. But Romans 1 to 11, if you think of a butterfly and think of yourself as a caterpillar, you cannot get 
to the life that God wants you to have unless as a caterpillar you chew your way through Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You see, Paul wants to come to Rome and he wants to come to Rome to do one thing, to preach the gospel. And he's not ashamed of the gospel. He knows it's the power of God unto the salvation because in the gospel, a righteousness from God has been revealed. But he explains the human predicament. As we chew into Romans, he explains the predicament of human sin, the horror of sin, how it entered the world and how pollution and how pervasive it is and what the penalty of that sin is before a holy God. And he talks about Abraham telling generations way, way back of a righteousness from God that's been revealed. By faith, that humankind can come into a relationship with God by faith. But then he goes on to show what it's like to be in Adam, chew a little bit further, and then he took where the death reigns through one man, one sin, death reigned, and then chew a bit further, and then the second Adam, Christ came, and how much more life reigned through that one man. And you chew and you chew and you come to. Uh, so much incredible doctrine. We haven't got time to do it, but basically there is a life that God wants to empower and give every child of God who believes in Jesus Christ, which is a life of transformation, a life of power, a life of joy. And so we come to Romans chapter 12 and we're given instructions. But these instructions, brothers and sisters, I keep needing to remind myself and I want to remind you, are not things we can just do by rote or by law. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. There is not something that is easy to achieve even in the very simple verses we've just read. Rejoice with those who rejoice Weep with those who weep. There is something deeply important that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives to make us the people of joy and to make us the people who understand how it is to mourn. Amen? Simples, said the meerkat. I mean, it, it, it felt to me, when I read this, I thought, why have I been given this text? Surely it's fairly straightforward. And then as I started to spend time in it, I realized, oh, this is a really difficult text. Now, illustrations are important. So I'm going to just, you'll excuse me if I wander around a little bit. I always think when you come to church on a Sunday morning, there is nothing more important than when the sermon goes on to chew a mint. So have, a, have, a, have some mints because it's really important. Really important you enjoy some mints as well. I have to go with this side because you're all sitting here looking very serious. Now, enjoy those mints. You're welcome to pass it on. I'll tell you what, there's something better than a mint, and that is chocolates, a box of lint chocolates. You can't be a box of lint chocolates. I always say they are on the back row. You shouldn't really get anything on the back row. You should be sitting on the front. There you go. Have a... Have a... Now, any, any, of you, any of you in this room got children or grandchildren under the age of five? Would you like to stick your hand up? Because this is your lucky day as well. Okay, Heather's going to be on the move. We've written a book uh, about Romans, this, this whole series in terms of transformation. It's a children's book. It's free to everybody who's got their hands up this morning. Please just stick your hand up. Heather will move around. It's all about Henry the Caterpillar. 
and the transformed life that they, is nobody on this side got any children or grandchildren? Or are you too busy eating the chocolates? Now, yeah, keep your hands up. Heather's quite a few over here as well. Now, the interesting thing is, whilst Heather's still carrying on, what do you think is easier? Let me just ask you a question. Everyone answer this question. What do you think is easier, to rejoice with those who rejoice or to weep with those who weep? Because I tell you what, there is a sense, and I hope you'll bear this out this morning, there is a sense when someone gets something for free, the rest of us think, why them? Why did, why, did, why did they get mints and I got nothing? Actually, once you've got mints, they're going, I should have hung on for the chocolates. They're far better. I can remember as a young Christian, I prayed. I prayed. I went into ministry. We had to downsize and move house and everything else, get rid of the car. And I prayed and prayed for transport. And do you know, one Sunday, someone came to me and said, I'm going to give you my Claude Butler bike, racing bike. At the time, it, it, I mean, it's just an incredible bike. And I loved my bike. Cycled 10 miles a day into work, 10 miles back. It was a fantastic bike. And I was, I'd share this testimony quite often. God gave me a bike. Prayed about it and God gave me a bike. Two years later, somebody new in the church came forward to test me. And he said, I was praying about transport. I needed transport. And someone gave me a brand new car. I mean, my joy went out the window. <laughs> I was thinking, who, who, who is this person? They're not even doing God's work, and he's giving them a car. I'm giving up everything. Do you know what? My joy was gone. Every time I saw him turn up in the car park, I wanted to let the tires down. I, there was all kinds of, all kinds of wrong things. I could not rejoice with those that were rejoicing. And we find it easier sometimes, don't we, if we're honest, to mourn with those who mourn. It's much easier to put a sh- an arm around a shoulder and to say, hey, I'm really sorry to hear that you've lost your job or, or whatever they're going through than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. So what I'm encouraging you this morning, as we listen to this, te- this word unpacked, I'm encouraging you to realize this is not something you will naturally do. It is only something you can supernaturally do. Amen? Amen. Just for um, everyone who's wired in terms of the, the Greek and what have you, rejoice is a feeling of great delight and gladness. And the, and the Greek is, talks about being favorably disposed to God's grace. It's not a joy we find in the world. It's a joy by being favorably disposed to God's grace. It's an understanding of where joy originates from and the privilege of what it means to be a child of God, that we are in that waterfall of grace that will give us joy despite our circumstances. So we're not focusing here on if it's going well, you've got joy. We're focusing on the grace of God, which is ours, despite whatever circumstances we go through, there is a river that flows and there is joy in obedience to God. Mourning, weeping, its deepest meaning is a lament of a deep, deep cry of grief. 
So it's not the emotional stuff we can sometimes feel at watching a soap opera or a film. It's <laughs> not talking about that. It's talking about something of deep empathy that God draws out from our heart towards those that are hurting and in pain and in need of comfort. And I was thinking about this when I was preparing this message, and I was thinking, where in the scriptures can we find examples of what this looks like so we can all think, ah, oh, I understand something more of it. And of course, there's no greater place to look than at Jesus Christ. Because we, beloved, talking in Romans, we're in Christ and we're to model the life of Christ to the world out there. Therefore, we need to look to Christ to understand what it is to rejoice and what it is to mourn. And so do some little, I'm going to give you 30 seconds on your own to think about one or two stories that you can think of where you find Jesus talking about joy or rejoicing and one or two stories where you think about Jesus weeping or mourning and see if you can come up with my four. If you have a Bible, we're going to, where do we find Jesus finding greatest delight? If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read some verses here. Jesus has just sent out the 72. He's given them explicit instructions of how to go from town to town, into house to house, and, talk, and bring the kingdom of God, and uh, heal the sick, and deliver the people from demons. In verse 17, the 72 returned with joy. There it is. Lord, even the demons submit in your name. And he, Jesus said, I, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. The disciples are buzzing. They're doing what the church of Jesus Christ needs to be doing today. Going out with the gospel, with the good news, with the authority that Christ has given us. And declaring the kingdom of God, making disciples, healing the sick, raising the dead, delivering from demons. They are buzzing. They're coming in. I can imagine we're high-fiving. Did you see that? Did you see when I laid hands? Whoa! That person was crawling like a serpent on the... Wow, it's fantastic. And then we said, in the name of Jesus, wow! And he got up and it was just brilliant. And all that excitement, all that joy, which needs to be ours, brothers and sisters, because testimony is an important part of our worship. I heard some testimonies this week from leaders as we gathered at a commission prayer and fasting. Oh, it was so good. Salvation stories, stories from Muslim backgrounds. It's just incredible listening to these wonderful testimonies of what God is doing. And we need to hear that Sunday by Sunday. So please come with your stories because we do need to hear it. It lifts all of our faith. But in the midst of that joy, there is a greater joy. And Jesus says, look, guys, just calm down a minute. This is great. But I want you to know, don't rejoice over that stuff. 
That's rejoicing with a small R. I want you to rejoice and always rejoice with a capital R. Because I want you to know in heaven there is a library. And in that library there are books. And in those books there are registers. And when you pull the register down and you go down the names, there are your names written in blood for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, a million years from now, a million years from now, you can go to that very place and you can draw out that very register and you can find your name written in the Lamb's blood, saved on that day you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And no man, no circumstance, nothing can pluck you from his hand. You are eternally saved. And that's where our greatest joy comes from. That's why when we come Sunday by Sunday, we make much of the Lord's table because we need to remember whatever hard life. And I know in this room, there'll be people going through really challenging, difficult times. But I want to remind you this morning, as a believer, that your names are written in heaven. And therefore, you can rejoice. You can have joy despite the circumstances, over the circumstances, you can enjoy him. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? That he gets his people. He's asked his father from eternity past for the nations of the world and he gets them. He gets a bride, a spotless, beautiful bride, and we are part of that bride. We fix our eyes on Jesus. The joy set before him endured the cross. He scorned its shame and he sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him. That's what Sunday's all about. Considering him. That's where joy comes from. Considering him. Second area of joy, and this is, I found this one a bit more challenging in a funny sort of way. It's found in John chapter 15. If you want to turn there in your iPhones, they should make a little noise sounding pages turning on your iPhone, shouldn't they? Because I used to love it when I said turn to John 15 and hear the pages turning. John 15, uh, verses 10 and 11, it says, If you keep, just as Jesus talking about vine and branches, he's talking to his disciples, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this that a man lays down his life for his friends. Just a very simple point on this one, because I want to come to mourning. But the love language of heaven, if you haven't picked this up, is obedience. Jesus perfectly loves his Father and shows perfect obedience, even to death upon a cross. When we listen to the word of God Sunday by Sunday, listening alone will do us no good whatsoever. In fact, it can do us harm if we just make it intellectual. 
Jesus says, you'll be blessed if you do this. If you put this into practice, this whole series in, in Romans is to try and teach us that actually when we gather, we gather as a body and that we have different gifts and different ministries and different opportunities to bring stuff in order to strengthen the body and encourage the body. We don't want to be reliant on one or two people at the front of the meeting and that's what it's all about. No, we're, we're here to encounter God, to meet with God in the power of the Spirit and that is done through one another bringing grace and gifts and ministries to each other's. When we listen to the teaching of God's word, we need to be people that are knowing stuff in our heads and then putting it into practice. That's where we will find joy. That's where we will find happiness. And by the way, it's uncomfortable. It's said here in the context of loving one another and laying down our lives for one another. If you think that serving one another is just, if you feel like it, you're wrong. Serving one another is whatever you feel. You're here as a body of Christ to minister to each other. When we break bread, you're going to minister to each other. We're going to pray for one another. And you've got to get out of your comfort zone in order to do that. You've got to lay down your life, and we remember today of people who have paid the ultimate sacrifice, and we remember Jesus above that ultimate sacrifice who laid down his life to remember that actually our life is to be a living sacrifice, which is how it begins in Romans 12. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So church, chapel, Sunday's cost. It means not just going to the connection point, as Paul encourages us to in terms of our giving, but coming here to bless other people in the name of Jesus, to build them up. That the gifts you've been given aren't for yourself, they're there for others, to bless them and strengthen them. And there is joy, brothers and sisters, not in hearing what I'm saying now, joy in doing it. That's where you'll find the joy. Not in hearing it, oh yeah, I quite like that. No, do it. Put it into practice. The wise man built his house upon the rock. So let's just move in this final sort of 10 minutes to weeping with those who weep. Now I'm sure most of you would have gone immediately to John 11 in terms of weeping. Where do we find Jesus in the greatest lament or the greatest mourning? Well, I, I, I believe one of the most obvious texts is the death of his friend, his close friend, or friends with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And in chapter 11, verse 35, uh, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. Just back up a little bit in case you don't know the story. Jesus is late. Don't know what you're like with people who come late to a party. Got an open house, 10 o'clock, 8 o'clock, and they're late. You're all prepared. They're not there. That's so irritating. I'm terrible with people who come late. I get there at two minutes before the asking time. Come around at seven. Two minutes to seven. Ding dong. I'm there. So people who come at five past, ten past, half past, I'm steaming. 
I'm almost not going to open the door. This is an open house. I have some fun. I don't want to shut the lock the door. Before I get it, push off. Jesus is very late. He's three days late. He'd got news that his best friend was terminally ill, probably going to die, almost certainly going to die. Quick, come, come, come. Jesus gets distracted. He's about other stuff. He comes three days late. The body has been in the tomb in the grave three days. Do you know blue bottles lay their eggs two hours after a body's died? 250 eggs each fly lays into the human body two hours after you die. Nice thought, isn't it? But you're glad you came this morning. The body starts to rot. It decomposed. You can tell in this story when Jesus, Jesus comes to this final moment that they're all a bit worried about what's going to happen because of the smell. But Jesus is late. He comes. And here's the, here's the issue that you and I must deal with. This is one of the most incredible texts, I believe, in the whole of the New Testament. Think about what's going to happen. Because if you know your Bibles, you know what's going to happen with Lazarus. But they don't. Their best, their brother, some of their best friend, he's dead. They're dead three days. The guy who could have helped, he's come late. Now Jesus is coming. Now if I'm Jesus, I'm coming with a big grin on my face. I'm coming with balloons. I'm coming with a song, up from the grave he arose. I'm coming with some sort of, I know what's going to happen. But it's nothing like that. Jesus asks to be shown where the tomb is. He comes there and he sees all the mourners. And do you know what Jesus, Jesus wept. He didn't just go, <laughs> he wept. It says um, in verse 33, Uh, hang on, no, it isn't verse 33. Where, where is it? Uh, oh, it is verse 33. I'm looking at the wrong chapter. That's what it is. When Jesus saw her, the weeping, and the Jews had come along with her, he was deeply moved in spirit. Deeply moved in spirit. Like the Greek says the closest you can get to that expression and feeling is a war horse snorting before battle. There was something incredibly strong that it brought into Jesus. He's snorting outside the grave of his friend. You see, Jesus is God. He's one with his Father. And Jesus shows us what it is and how God looks upon this lost world, lost in sin, shame, bondage to decay. And death is an enemy. Our faith in Jesus, is in Jesus Christ who came to rescue us from the power and penalty of sin. The grave talks of emptiness. It talks of waste. It talks about all the things that have been lost, the, the life that was lived and all the wonderful things that life encapsulated has now all been lost. And now the, the winner is the worm. The winner is the fire, the flames that burn up that corpse. 
and all the wicked forces of evil in the heavenly realms that grab like great big huge giant squid and grab mankind and pull them into eternity without God. Jesus snorts at this. He's angry with this. He's filled with compassion with this because he wants to rescue. He wants to save. He wants to pull people to himself and to the love of Almighty God. And we, brothers and sisters, are hate with perfect hatred, death. And everything associated with sickness and ill health and brokenness and disease. And we're called to weep with those who weep. To feel God's love, God's emotion, and to be drawn into that compassion. Now Jesus, let it be clear, faced down the grave. He faced down loss, he faced down darkness and judgment and hell. And death has now been defeated. Because he died And three days later, raised again in the power of the Spirit to the right hand of the Father on high. Death has been defeated. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is our enemy. Brothers and sisters, it's not, oh, how sad, sad, sad. Death is not part of God's eternal, uh, it's not part of his nature or his character. It's an enemy that's invaded this world and Jesus is going to have the last word over that. And we need to be at war with everything that surrounds death in the name of Jesus. We need to be praying for the sick. We need to be looking for God's deliverance. But we need to be preaching a gospel that even when people die, brothers and sisters die, that's not the final word. Jesus has the final word. And they will be raised in the twinkling of eye. They'll be raised incorruptible, new bodies to live in a new eternity, a new place that God has rescued, a new heaven and earth that God has prepared for us. So the closer we are to Jesus Christ, I would submit to you, the easier we find it to mourn with those who mourn. When we turn on our television sets, brothers and sisters, let's not turn them on to condemn Israel, Hamas, whoever it might be, whatever wickedness is going on. Let's not be quick to judge, but let us be moved with the innocent people who are being killed every day because of sin. And because of wickedness. And let's remind ourselves of the one who does care. Our God is not removed from this suffering of this world. He came to this world in the form of Jesus Christ, the perfect man, to show us how God views this world, how he views sin and how he views death, and how Jesus is the only hope for our world. And the gospel is something that we need to proclaim and preach because he has won. He has defeated sin and Satan and death through his power on the cross and his resurrection. And the final mourning, which I'm not going to spend any time on because I want to pray for you, is when he mourns over Jerusalem in Luke 19. How he looks over a city and cries over a city and says, you don't realise The time of God's coming is near. That people 
in that city who had turned their back on the Messiah, AD 70 was only years away when the Rome, Rome would come and destroy that city. I want to encourage us as a church. We're based in central London. By the grace of God, we're here in the city of London with the responsibility to pray for this city and to weep for this city. Get in a high place, go on a bridge, watch the crowds, and hear the words of Jesus. They are like sheep without a shepherd. We crossed over the 300,000 that were queuing and marching in, Vic in, in Victoria yesterday of Palestinians and felt their anger, they felt their grief, felt their questions. Be moved, brothers and sisters, by God's compassion. They are sheep without a shepherd. And the answer is Jesus Christ, the gospel. And God's entrusted us with the gospel. And we're not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So how do we finish this message this morning? Well, I think God wants to release us to be more vocal in our joy and more empathetic in the way we pray for our lost world. Can you remember those of us who do stuff online when you had to go online with COVID? And you remember the most common phrase that was used, you're on mute. <laughs> How annoying it was that. You just said the most incredible thing and everyone's going, you're on mute. It's like, oh, I'll never be able to say that again. I feel that Westminster Chapel, I think we're a bit on mute. I think we've got to find our voice. I think we've got to find our voice on Sunday mornings and bringing gifts that please the King and are here to bless one another. I think we've got to find our voice in terms of the gospel. I think we've turned that right down. We're offend of, afraid of offending people. But the gospel is an offense. And we need to be willing to pay a price to make a noise. And these are times... I believe, as it talks earlier, of zeal and passion that God wants us to be zealous and, and rejoicing and enjoying God in our worship and lifting his name higher and finding the joy that is truly ours in the Holy Spirit so that we sing in tongues, that we, we bring wonderful gifts, we declare and clap people who tell a testimony about how they've been saved or about how God's come through with finances or healing or blessing in their life. And we all go, yes, God, yes, do it again, do it again, do it again. I love the way it says in Ezra, when they, they, the, the second temple that was being built and they, they'd laid this foundation stone and it said, no one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise. You're free to make so much noise. I've tried to make a little bit of noise this morning, but you're free to make even more noise. So how are we going to finish this? We're going to finish this very, very simply. I'd like you to stand. We're going to do two actions. The first action is we're going to put our hand on our hearts. And I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, you are our great example. You are our saviour. You are our king. 
This is your word to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And I pray for every heart under every hand that you'd soften it this morning in the name of Jesus. Take from every one of us any hardness of heart, any cynicism or unbelief, and give us a heart that loves you with a greater love, loves one another with a greater love, loves our times together as a church with a greater love. I pray you'd do something amazing amongst us in this season, a difficult season for Westminster Chapel. I pray soften our hearts. May they not become hard and cynical and bitter and critical. Lord, may they be soft as we speak of one another and love one another. May you be pleased by the how we worship you and the way in which we love you and love each other. And now I'd like you to just touch your head or your mouth. Don't touch your tongue. I'm going to pray for your tongues, but don't hold them out. I pray, Father, too, for every one of us in terms of our voice and our ability to speak in your name. Lord, may we find great volume even as we worship you now. May we find great freedom to bring testimonies and and, and scriptures and, and, and prophecies and tongues, all the things you talk about in your word. May we have a boldness, Holy Spirit, to speak your word with great boldness and clarity. Free our voices, Lord, to preach your gospel. As we go from here, may we see many people, many people that we love saved because we share the love of Jesus with them. And now be exalted, Lord. Lord, as we worship you, Lord, as we come around your table, I pray we would just be able to minister your grace one to another. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.